Chapter Four, Part Five of the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume Ten, Ingersoll's Closing Address to the Jury in the Second Star Route Trial, Part Five of Twenty Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joseph Tabler. Part Five now i am going to demonstrate this when mr rurdale got to jersey city he telegraphed back according to the evidence of mr dorsey up to this moment i have been faithful to every trust i believe rurdle swears that he did not send that he had a memorandum book which he took out of his pocket i think a leaf was torn from it and he ran his pencil through this line on the page on which he had taken a copy of this dispatch up to this moment I have been faithful to every trust, and says he did not send it. Why did he put his pencil through that? Because that line would not agree with the testimony he had given upon the stand. Up to this moment I have been faithful to every trust, was in that dispatch. I want to ask you if you believe that Rerdel could have sent that dispatch to a man to whom he had admitted that very morning that he had gone over to the government do you believe it how perfectly natural it would have been for him to send a dispatch from jersey city that harmonized and accorded with his denial of that morning just look at that handing the paper to the foreman of the jury just read it i want the jury to look at it he rubbed it out of his memorandum book when at the time no sir when he found that he wanted something to harmonize with his evidence here even when he had not the brazen effrontery to swear that he had told dorsey that very morning that he rerdel had gone over to the government and then that very afternoon to telegraph him up to this moment i have been faithful to every trust why in comparison with that cheek brass is a liquid what is the next sentence the affidavit story is a lie why did he leave that in because technically that was true he had not then made an affidavit and there is nothing so pleases a man who has made up his mind to tell a lie as to have mixed with the mortar of that lie one hair of truth it is delightful to smell the perfume of a fact in the hell broth of his perjury just look at that these two things show that he had not admitted to dorsey that he had told the government anything against dorsey he wanted dorsey to understand that he rerdel had not communicated with the government now if you admit his evidence to be true at the time he sent that dispatch he had the stolen book under his arm and you gentlemen of the jury are asked to believe a man who would do that thing i would not I would not convict the meanest lowest wretch that ever crawled between heaven and earth upon such testimony never neither can you do it a verdict must rest upon a fact the fact must rest upon the testimony of a witness that witness must be or seem to be an honest man and unless a verdict is based upon the bedrock of honesty it is infinitely rotten and the jury that will give a verdict not based upon honesty is corrupt mr crane foreman of the jury i notice that this dispatch seems to have been written with different pencils 
at different times. Mr. Ingersoll Up to this moment I have been faithful to every trust, is written very dimly. The affidavit story is a lie, but confidence between us is gone, is in still a different hand. I resign my position, and I will turn everything over to anyone you designate, is still another hand, three hands, three pencils, and in the one memorandum. These papers have been manufactured, and when the government said, This is not enough, another paragraph has been added. How hard it is to perpetrate a piece of rascality and do it well. There are an infinite number of things in this universe, and everything that is in it is related to everything else. And when you get a falsehood in it that does not belong to the family, it has not the family likeness. And when anybody sees it who is acquainted with the family, he says, That is an adopted young one. Mr. Rerdell now says, I believe, that he did not send that line. Up to this moment, etc., Dorsey swears that he did. Rerdell then produces this book and this paper which I have shown to you. Now let us follow Mr. Rerdell from the Albemarle Hotel. I will show that he crosses himself on almost every fact that he endeavors to swear to. He swears that he went to Dorsey's, that from Dorsey's he went immediately to Tory's office, and he then went and got lunch and then went to Jersey City. He also swears that he got his breakfast before he went to Dorsey's. In the next examination he swears that he got his breakfast after he went to Dorsey's, and after he got the book he went to Jersey City. First walking up and down Broadway for about an hour, he had forgotten about the lunch. There is nothing in it but a mass of contradiction. He swears that he went down to Tory's office. Why did he not make it earlier, as soon as he got off the boat? Because he did not have any key to the office. It would not do to swear that he broke into the office and that nobody ever heard of it, and so he had to put the time after the office would naturally be open. Well, now we have got him as far as the office. He swears that he went in there and saw Mr. Torrey. After chatting a little with Torrey and telling him the object of his visit, Torrey took him into the next room and took these books from a shelf or desk or something of that kind and handed them both to him, and he looked them over at his leisure, while Mr. Torrey went back to his business. He finally took the journal and left the ledger. Why did he leave the ledger? I will tell you after a while, every lie, as well as every truth, has its philosophy. He took the journal and came along out with it under his arm, not wrapped up, not concealed. Then he had another chat with Tory about the weather or something, and then when he went on. Why did he swear that he had had a conversation with Tory in that office? I will tell you. When he was giving that testimony, Tory was in mid-ocean between New York and Liverpool. I guess Mr. Rerdell had heard that the man was away. He thought he would be absolutely and perfectly safe, and so he said he had a conversation with Tory. The moment he repeated that conversation with Tory, I said, Where is Tory? We telegraphed to New York, and we found that Tory had left for the old country. We sent a cablegram to Queenstown, and we intercepted him. I think he stayed a day in the old country, and took the next ship, 
and came back. Arriving here in time to swear that Rerdel never visited that office, that he never had that conversation with him, and that he never got that book from that office. More than that, that that book never was in that office. Who are you going to believe, Tory or Rerdel? Another man was there on that very day, Mr. Mullins. He never had any recollection of seeing Rerdel until he saw him here. All the books were kept in the safe except the books that Tory had in his desk. No such books were in the safe, and no such books were in Tory's desk. Gentlemen, no such books existed, and I will demonstrate it to you before I get through. No doubt the man had some little expense books of his own. He has widened them, he has lengthened them, he has thickened them, he has colored them, he has refreshed other people. When the government tells a man, you have got an office, haven't you? Yes. Well, we want you to remember this. Then he is refreshed on the subject. The words the government speaks are rain and dew and sunlight upon the dry grass of his memory, and it springs up green. He says he has been refreshed. Before I get through, I will show you that these things were proved only by gentlemen who had been refreshed. Now, why did Rerdel say he took the journal and left the ledger? I will tell you, there is more in the shirt theory than you would think. He had a shirt in a paper, folded up just once over the bosom. Unexpectedly, Lie met Mr. James on the train. He was very much surprised to meet him, because James swears he was very much surprised to meet Rerdel. James knew that he had gone over to New York to get those books, and he asked him, Did you get the books? Rerdel had that beggarly little package. He could not call that books, because it was not large enough, and so he had to say he had a book. That was the reason he said journal and not ledger. He had too small a package for books, and consequently he told James he had the book, and he is sticking to it only one book. Another reason, he said to James, and it was very smart of him, I don't want to show you what I have got in this package, because there is a fellow looking. And so the shirt in unconscious innocence reposed unseen. Who was the fellow who was looking? Chase Andrews. You recollect him. He came into the depot at Jersey City at the time Rerdel was writing this virtuous dispatch, this certificate of his honor and of his faithfulness. He shook hands with Rerdel. Rerdel said he had a carpet sack, but it was not big enough to get one of these books in. He wanted the jury to think it was a pretty big book. He hated to lose a chance of adding to the size of the book, and so he swore that it was too big to put in the carpet sack. If he had only had sense enough to put it in the carpet sack and let it alone, we never could have proven anything about it by Chase Andrews. Andrews would not have sworn that he had looked through the carpet sack, but Rerdel, in his anxiety to have that book a big book, said he could not get it into the carpet sack, and consequently must have held it in his hand. Chase Andrews saw him in the depot at Jersey City, and rode in the next seat in the Pullman car from Jersey City to Washington, and Rerdel had no book. Who will you believe, Chase Andrews or Mr. Rerdel? Mr. Ingersoll, resuming, May it please the court and gentlemen of the jury, 
it is also claimed by the prosecution that on the evening of the day on which Rerdel was in new york and sent the telegram from jersey city dorsey wrote a letter to Rerdel in which he begged him for the sake of his family for the sake of his children and everything to go no further i believe it is claimed that after mr Rerdel got back here to washington he showed that letter to his brother it struck me as extremely wonderful that he did not show his brother the book that was such an important thing it being the thing that he went after being something that was to decide his fate with the government there was nothing about that let me say right here suppose his story is true that he told dorsey that he had been to the government would dorsey write to that man a letter begging him for god's sake not to go further would he not rather have sent some man to see him he knew at that time that he was utterly dishonest having received that very afternoon according to Rerdel's testimony a telegram from Rerdel, in which Rerdel admitted that he had told a falsehood would he then have put himself upon paper would he have put himself in the power of that same man i ask you because you know there is about as much human nature in one person as in another on the average and the only way you can tell what another man will do is by thinking what would i do under the circumstances i am going to demonstrate to you now with just one point that there were no such books when Rerdel came to make the affidavit of june twenty eighteen eighty one dorsey knew that Rerdel had talked with mcveigh james and clayton he also knew that Rerdel, according to his statement had promised to go to new york and get the red book Rerdel swears in the affidavit of june eighteen eighty one that he promised mcveigh to go to new york and get those books dorsey knew at that time whether such books existed or not if he knew they did exist then he knew that Rerdel went after them why did not dorsey ask Rerdel at the time he made that affidavit did you get a book in new york admitting for the sake of the argument that Rerdel's story is true that the books were there and that dorsey knew it would not dorsey have asked him when he was making the affidavit of june twenty eighteen eighty one did you get a book in new york what did you do with it if you did Rerdel swears that dorsey did not mention that subject that it was not talked of between them why because both knew that no such books existed that is the reason he did not ask him if he got it he knew that he did not get it why because the book was not there to be obtained can you explain that on any other hypothesis dorsey knew at this time according to the testimony of Rerdel, that Rerdel was dishonest knew that Rerdel had tried to sell him out to the government knew that Rerdel had promised mcveigh he would go to new york and get those books knew that Rerdel had been to new york knew that Rerdel had gotten back and yet did not ask him did you get a book would he not naturally have said i want that book that you got in new york i want it now it also appears in evidence that on the very day that Rerdel was in new york and says he was in tory's office tory in the afternoon went to the albemarle hotel to do some writing for mr dorsey is it conceivable that Tory would not in that conversation have told Dorsey, Your clerk, Rerdel, came to the office that day, and I gave him the mail book, 
or one of those books not a word that affidavit was made in june eighteen eighty one and was the affidavit in which Rerdel disclosed what he had done with the government and that he had agreed to get that very book and yet dorsey did not take interest enough in the matter to ask him if he had got a book mr merrick is there any evidence of the conversation between tory and dorsey mr ingersoll no the evidence is that tory went there that evening you claim that that was the topic of conversation and that dorsey sent dispatches to rerdel that night and wrote a letter to rerdel so i say under the circumstances and with the excitement then prevailing it is inconceivable that tory should not have said your man rerdel has been at my office to-day and got one of the books i say it is inconceivable that he did not tell him and therefore dorsey must have known it had been a fact and had it been a fact when rerdel made the affidavit of eighteen eighty one dorsey would have said i want that book i want the book you stole from my office he did not even mention it it was not the subject of conversation yet in that same affidavit he said that he agreed to go and get it and in that same affidavit he said that no such book ever existed he swore to that affidavit from friendship you see gentlemen about how much friendship that man is capable of he swore for friendship that no such book existed he now swears that it did what is that for you want to consider these things nobody asked about that book the matter drifted along the summer wore away autumn touched the woods with gold nobody ever mentioned the book winter came that book was in a little carpet sack hanging in a woodshed a magnificent place to secrete property the snows descended the winds howled around that woodshed the carpet sack hung there with the book in it nobody touched it i think the next year maybe that summer he wrote or telegraphed to mrs cushman to get the book it suddenly occurred to him that a woodshed was not a safe place for it she got the book she looked into it enough to find out it was about the mail business she put it away finally that book was brought from its hiding place on the thirteenth of july eighteen eighty two when rerdel says he handed it over to dorsey and there is not one syllable of evidence going to show that it was ever spoken of from the time he visited new york until he brought it to dorsey as he claimed at willard's hotel what made him give it to him dorsey was mad dorsey threatened that he would have rerdel arrested for perjury because rerdel had sworn that he dorsey was innocent that is enough to excite the wrath of an ordinary man dorsey was then on trial the first trial was then going on we were right in the midst of it the year before that rerdel had solemnly taken his oath that dorsey was an innocent man and here dorsey was in a court insisting that he was innocent yet he threatened to have rerdel then and there punished for perjury because he had sworn that he was innocent that frightened rerdel and i think it was calculated to frighten any man why did dorsey allow rerdel to keep that book there is only one possible explanation the book never existed that is all tory would have told about it if it had been taken from his office because i believe the evidence shows that that affidavit was shortly afterwards published 
Nobody seemed to have taken any interest in that book. All interest faded away. Now Mr. Rardell made that affidavit on the 20th of June, 1881, I believe on page 2468. Rardell swears that when he made the affidavit of June 20, 1881, he had the copies of the original journal and ledger at Dorsey's office. Afterwards he swears he had not. He swears that he then gave them to Dorsey. Afterwards he says they were sent to New York the year before. I will come to that after a while. Now let us see what the position of affairs was on June 20, 1881. At this time Rerdel had furnished the government all the information he had, except the book. Then they had said to him substantially, The evidence is insufficient. We want more. Rerdel agreed to furnish them the books, and went to New York to get the books. Now he had Dorsey absolutely in his power, according to his account. What did he do? He had, according to his testimony, the copy of the letter Dorsey had written to Bosler on the 13th of May, 1879, the copy having been made by Miss Nettie L. White. He had the tabular statement in Dorsey's own handwriting, showing 33 and one-third percent to T.J.B. He had the letter that he himself wrote to Bosler on the 22nd of May, 1880. He had the red book, according to his statement. On that day he had Dorsey in his power. All he had to do was to take the next step and secure absolute safety for himself and crush his employer. What did he do? He then said, I went to the government and played the detective. He retreated. He voluntarily put himself in a position a thousand times as perilous as he had been in before. He put himself in a place where he had to swear that what he told the government was a lie, and that he was simply endeavoring to find out the government's case and was acting as a detective. You must recollect that Rerdel is a man who does nothing for money. He will make an affidavit for an adulterated friendship. He will make it also from fright. He will make it also, he says, in the interest of truth. At that time he made an affidavit, as he says, for friendship. And it is for the jury to determine how much a man like Rerdel, because you know what he is just as well as I do, would do for friendship. You have seen him here day after day. You saw him sitting right at the door when Mr. Kerr and Mr. Bliss were demonstrating to you that he was a guilty wretch, and you saw his face beaming with pleasure. He was absolutely delighted. Yet when Mr. Wilson stood here and endeavored to show that the man was not as bad as he w said he was, endeavored to show that his plea of guilty was absolutely false, he slunk away, covered with the shame of innocence. He did not want to hear that. He wanted it understood that he was guilty, and that it was the proudest moment of his life. Now it is for you to determine how much such a man would do for friendship. It is for you to determine how you can take advantage of his finer nature. He had Dorsey in his power, according to his story, but instead of carrying out his original design, he turned against the government. Why would he do that? Because of patriotism? No. Why? He did it for his own benefit, gentlemen. He never acted from any other motive. Why did he not stay with the government? Because they would not give him his price for his evidence. Why would they not give him his price for his evidence? Because his evidence was not worth it. 
if he had had the copy of the letter from dorsey to bosler they would have given him his price they would have followed him all over the united states to have given him his price there was the absolute evidence against dorsey there was the evidence against the man whom mr mcveigh wished to drag down why did they not buy it because the man did not have it why did he desert the government because the government would not give him his price again i ask why would not the government give him his price because he had not the goods he had not the evidence then what did he do he sneaked back and asked protection of the man he had endeavored to betray that is what he did he again asked dorsey to stand by him dorsey did not need this man this man needed him and he instantly deserted the government and went back to dorsey for the sake of saving dorsey no for the purpose of saving himself he had not the evidence yet according to this testimony of his he did what i told you what else did he have he had the root book what was the root book gentlemen from the evidence it appears that this man kept a root book and that in it he had the name of each root the number of the root where it started from and where it went to the name of the contractor the amount per year the name of the subcontractor the amount per year and then a column showing whether it had been increased and if so how much and whether it had been expedited and if so how much he had that book he says he was subpoenaed to appear before the congressional committee what book would that committee want they would want the book that showed the original contracts the subcontracts the description of the routes how much the government paid to the contractor and how much the contractor paid to the subcontractor that was the book they wanted and that was the book to hide if any hiding was to be done that was the book to have copied that was the book in which figures should have been changed if in any and yet he never said one word about that root book he had it in his possession why should he not expect the committee of congress to call for that book he did not tell you he did not have that book copied and yet that was the book that had in it every particle of information that the congressional committee wanted not a word on that subject it appears too in the evidence that mr Rardell had in his possession certain notes that passed between him and mr steele about the red books why were not those notes produced in evidence mr steele was here on the subpoena of the government why were not those notes produced in evidence not a word about that is it possible that those notes were about the root book why were they not produced Rardo went before that congressional committee he did not take any root book what did he take he said that he had these books made up to take did they contain the accounts of the subcontractors no donnelly swears there were not more than twelve accounts in the book what was the use of taking that book or those books before the committee another thing he says that he went immediately and got those books copied would he try to palm off the copies as originals would not the committee ask him the very first thing in whose handwriting are these books he could not say they are in mine because then he would be caught he would have to say they are in mr donnelly's handwriting the next question would be where is mr donnelly
and the answer would be here in town the committee would send for him and ask mr donnelly did you write in those books yes did you make the entries at the time they purport to have been made no sir i copied them from another set of books that mr rardell gave to me he would either say that or swear to a lie then they would say mr rardell we want the original books and then he would be caught you cannot imagine a more shallow device more than that the books would not have any information that the committee wanted nothing about these contracts and nothing about the amount paid the subcontractors if the committee wanted anything they wanted to show that the government was paying a large price and the contractors were paying to the subcontractors a small price rardell says that when he was subpoenaed to bring his books he never thought of the root book he thought of the red books and yet the root book was the only book that had any information that the committee wanted how was he to palm that off is it possible to think of a reason having in it less probability less weight less human nature than the reason he gives for having those books copied there is another reason if rardell expected to palm off the copies as originals why did he keep the originals for instance i have a book here that i don't want congress to see and so i have it copied i am going to swear that the copy is a, the original otherwise the device is good for nothing why keep the original and run the perpetual danger of discovery why not burn the original why keep the evidence of my own guilt libel to be found at any moment by accident by a servant by a stranger that is not human nature gentlemen then there is another question if you were going to have a book copied and then swear that the copy was the original he would have copied it himself if a man intends to swear to a lie the first thing he does is not to take somebody into the secret why should he have put himself in the power of donnelly he was the man to be the witness before the committee and if his device worked he intended to swear before the committee that the copies were the originals and yet by going to donnelly to have the work done he manufactured a witness that would always stand ready to prove that he rardell had sworn to a falsehood what men work in this way when a man makes up his mind to swear to a lie does he take pains to go to one of his neighbors and say i am going to swear to a lie tomorrow and i want to give you the evidence of it i am going to swear that a copy is an original i want you to make the copy so that i can swear to it would not the neighbor then say i will be a witness against you in that case you had better copy it yourself just see what he did he took pains to have a witness so that if he swore falsely he could be contradicted and convicted why did he not copy the books himself after he got the originals copied why did he not burn up the originals so that nobody could ever find them in his possession let us take another step finally he got before the committee when he got before the committee what did he swear he swore that he kept some expense books showing how he stood with the contractors i think that was the truth i think that is what he did keep he did not tell the committee about the root book not a word that was the only book that he concealed in his testimony he said he kept some expense books and those were all that he kept he did not tell about the root book that is the only book that he failed to mention consequently it seems to me 
that was the only book he did not want to show why because he thought at the time they were going to make a great outcry about what was paid to the subcontractor and to the contractor and he had no advices from anybody except from whom except from mr bosler what did bosler tell him bosler told him i see no reason why you should not exhibit your books and papers now according to Rerdel's testimony on the thirteenth of may the year before dorsey had written a letter to bosler informing him that he had given twenty thousand dollars to t j b bosler knew if the testimony of Rerdel is true that that letter had been written and bosler had that information he knew if the letter had been copied too because every letter that one receives gives evidence whether it has been copied or not and yet knowing of that letter he wrote to Rerdel or telegraphed him that he saw no reason why he should not show all his books and papers nobody believes that nobody ever will believe it the earth may revolve in its orbit for millions of years and generations may come and go countless as the leaves of all the forests and there will never be found a man of average intelligence to believe that story just think of it bosler according to the testimony of Rerdel, had gone into partnership with dorsey knowing there was a conspiracy knowing dorsey was paying to brady thirty-three and a third per cent of the profits and thereupon the clerk who attended to the business writes or telegraphs to him and says he has been subpoenaed to appear before the congressional committee with the books and papers and mr bosler knowing of the existence of the conspiracy and knowing that brady is getting thirty-three and a third per cent writes or telegraphs back that he sees no reason why all the books and papers should not be presented to the committee gentlemen that is impossible it never happened and it never will ah but they say these books did exist why because mr donnelly copied them let us see whether he did or not there is nothing like examining these questions mr Rerdel says that in his interview with brady brady suggested to him that he had better have them copied this i believe was on the twenty first of may eighteen eighty now he swears that in accordance with that view or suggestion that he received from brady he had the books copied by donnelly when did he have it done he had it done after the twenty-first day of may eighteen eighty on page twenty six thirty eight donnelly swears that he copied these books in the latter part of april or the forepart of may on page twenty six thirty six where he was asked if he had anything to do with copying a book of accounts for Rerdel, he says that he had and on being asked what kind of books they were says they were a small set of books donnelly swears that they related to the mail business and seemed to be the books of a firm at that time nobody was interested in the matter except s w dorsey how did they appear to be the books of a firm donnelly swears on page twenty six forty eight there were not more than a dozen accounts in the book let us see if these books were the mail books he says there was an account against s w dorsey that is one an account against john w dorsey that is two against donnelly himself that is three m c Rerdel, that is four interest account five a mail account six an expense account seven a profit and loss account eight and an account with william smith nine that is all he gives but he says they were not to exceed a dozen on page twenty six forty four gibbs says there was an account against colonel steele and mrs steele i take it they would be in one account 
that makes ten then there was a count against jennings making eleven and an account against perkins making twelve let us see if we can go a little further mr rairdell swears to a cash account that is thirteen also an account against j h mitchell that is fourteen and one against belford making fifteen you can deduct your jones and your smith and have one more account in the book than than donnelly swears was in it he swears they were not to exceed a dozen that was the book with all this mail business we will foul it up a little rairdell says he opened the books according to the memorandum and swears consequently that there was a cash account and an account with j h mitchell j b belford i believe he afterwards mentioned now according to gibbs testimony there was an account with perkins understand i say that the only book he had if he had any was a private book in which he kept his own expense accounts and his own matters and it was not a book with which stephen w dorsey had any connection i say that the william smith and samuel jones account he has added for the purpose of having something to sell to the government that is my claim i say they were his private books there was an account with perkins you have heard all the testimony gentlemen you know all the contracts in this case you know all the subcontracts there is not a single solitary account in this book with any subcontractor mentioned in any of these subcontracts except perkins and possibly jennings who was perkins perkins was a subcontractor on the route from rawlins to white river that is the route that rairdell had an interest in himself rairdell made the subcontract with perkins himself and consequently he had an account with perkins in his own private book and had not any account with the rest of the subcontractors we also find according to gibbs that there was an account against jennings who was jennings this ends chapter four point five second star root trial closing address part five of twenty four